Welcome back to the Righteousness mini-series on the Good Line podcast. You're about to hear from Josh White, lead pastor of Door of Hope in Portland. He's going to break down a concept that he calls selective sanctification. Here's Josh. The deep, natural movement of the human heart when it's functioning outside of right relationship with Christ is to try to approve of itself, to justify its own existence. And we do that by what I call selective sanctification. I read my Bible this morning. God is impressed. And the problem with that is that he's impressed right now. But what about when you slept in? What about when you didn't read your Bible? What about when you yelled at your mom or you yelled at your spouse? What about when you were snapped at your child? What about when you cut off the person on the bicycle because you didn't like them? (laughs) i'm just giving you you're like you laugh because you know because selective sanctification only gets you so far and the opposite happens but you go from feeling self-justified in in doing good to all of a sudden the enemy gets his claws on you and makes you feel horrible and guilty and ashamed when you blow it because your idea of righteousness is maintaining some kind of moral conduct and it's not what the Bible declares his righteousness. Righteousness is not simply an abstraction, but possesses a relational aspect set within the context of God's dealings with his covenant people. And I think that it's important that everything that God reveals about himself in scripture is always connected to his relationship with humanity. Think about the story with Jesus and the disciples. He says to them, he says, unless your righteousness exceeds the Pharisees, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. And they're thinking, what? how could we possibly be more righteous than the Pharisees? They do everything, all the stuff. They read their Bibles, they pray, they give to the poor. How could we possibly be more righteous than them? See, the thing I love about Jesus here is he's playing these crazy mind games with the disciples. He's being so tricky because he's trying to teach them a really important lesson. They're saying, how could we possibly be more righteous than these guys who keep all of the moral laws and codes? And the point Jesus is trying to make is these guys aren't righteous at all. Do you get it? The reason that your righteousness needs to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees is because they don't actually have righteousness at all. They've got self-righteousness, but not true righteousness. Because righteousness isn't defined by what you do. It's defined by your relationship with God, with Jesus. And the Pharisees didn't have that. The most mind-blowing and tragic thing about this for religious people is that the guy who does all the right things with no Jesus is actually less righteous than a sinner who has Jesus. Like we keep saying, it all comes back to relationship. Hey, you're listening to the Good Line Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us today. We are talking about righteousness. This is part three of our mini-series on the subject of righteousness. And we're about to hear from my friend, Pastor David Cowper, or as his friends call him, Wavy. He's the lead pastor of Calvary Limerick in Ireland and a great fellow. So... Here he is with some thoughts on righteousness. It's a good time to be talking about righteousness. Um, Calvary Limerick, which 
I'm the pastor of is going through the Beatitudes at the moment and literally yesterday we were looking at um, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be satisfied and just one of the the things that I have been kind of constantly reminded of as I've been teaching through the Beatitudes and we're doing them one at a time um, is that distinction between what is an indicative and what is an imperative and often I think we read the things that Jesus says as imperatives meaning like rules things that we have to do um, and actually they're indicatives in, and that just like it literally means like what the the gospel is about and so you know those promises that God has made those things that we are in Christ um, and so like one of the things I've been saying in the studying of the Beatitudes is that they are a proclamation of who we are in Christ. We are people who hunger and thirst for righteousness and they are an invitation to us as Christians to live authentically in our Christian identity as people who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Oh, I love that, man. So so you're saying that righteousness is not something that we do, but it's, it's something that we are, right? And it's that, that idea, I think, even of what is something that we have to do and then what is something that Jesus says about us is such a good distinction, such a gospel distinction that we don't make. And then if we don't make it, you know, if we read the stuff that Christ says about righteousness, of what the Bible says about righteousness as something that we have to do, something that we have to work up inside ourselves, um, a way that we have to f- like force ourselves, make ourselves, create in ourselves as a way of living, a way of life, um, in our strength and our power, um, you just like you end up on a road that is way far from what Jesus meant and what Jesus said and what the gospel is about, and you you end up on a road that is like the road of legalism and the road of moralism, and even I guess like even further down that road, the road of either despair or the road of pride, um, depending on how well you might do in that kind of situation and. Yeah, it's just that, like, that what is the difference between a moral imperative and a gospel indicative um, is just so important to have in your mind and to be thinking about and to, to realize. Um, and especially when you come to a conversation about righteousness and things like it, like holiness, um, and what is the difference between what Jesus has said about us and invited us into and what Jesus tells us to do. Um, and how to live and yeah I think even as a starting point when you're starting to look at righteousness to have that distinction in your mind is a good place to start thanks Wavy coming up next on the show we've got a story from me about this very issue and how I've seen it in my life as well as a conversation between me and Brian Higgins and some more input from our Calvary Pastor friends stay tuned I remember back when I was about 16 or 17 years old, I was at this youth camp up in the mountains, and I remember it was the last night of camp, which was cry night. If you're familiar with youth ministry, you'll know that the last night of camp is usually when people get very emotional and they start crying, and I'm a pretty emotional guy. And so normally during those nights, I would I would get emotional, and 
I remember it was this incredible night, just an amazing worship session, a great Bible study, just awesome stuff. And I remember the band got up to play and all of my friends are just crying all around the room. Like everybody's just weeping. But it was the weirdest thing. I actually was not shedding a tear. It was like my heart was made of stone. I felt absolutely nothing. It was honestly the most bizarre thing because I was so used to feeling things, but in that moment, I didn't feel anything. I didn't feel happy. I didn't feel sad. I didn't feel joy or peace. I didn't feel the presence of God, and I was so used to feeling that presence, and it not being there was just the strangest and honestly a very... A very frightening thing for me. I remember thinking to myself, am I even a Christian? Am I even saved? Because if I was a Christian, I should be feeling something. I mean, look at all my friends. They're all crying. What's wrong with me? And it was very strange. God actually spoke to me in that moment. And it wasn't an audible voice, but it was just this sense in my heart where all he said was, go stand in the corner. And I was thinking, you know, am I in trouble? Is this timeout? What's going on? But um, I went to the corner of the room, the corner of that chapel, and I just looked out on all my friends, and they were all crying, and the band was playing, and everything was very emotional, and I still felt nothing. And I said, God, what are you trying to show me? What are you trying to tell me? And he said to me so clearly, I'll never forget it for as long as I live. He said to me, Aaron, my relationship with you has nothing to do with how you feel. It has everything to do with who I am and what I've done for you. And that's, and then (laughs) I didn't start crying after that. I I didn't get emotional. I, I went through the rest of that night pretty much feeling emotionless, but I had peace because I knew in my heart that those words were true wasn't about who I was. It was about who he was and what he had done for me. Now, now please understand what I'm saying. I think so often we in the church can do what I did as a young person. We can think it's all about the emotion. We can think that if I don't feel God, then God isn't actually there. And emotions are good. I mean, emotional experiences are amazing. Jesus invented our emotions. He made us. He created us with emotions. So I'm not saying emotions are bad. We should feel things. But at times, we're not going to. At times, the feelings won't be there. And I just, I want to encourage you, if you're listening, that even when the feelings aren't there, Jesus always is. Your relationship, your righteousness has nothing to do with how you feel, how righteous you feel, how holy you feel, how religious you feel, how good you feel. Your relationship with Christ has everything to do with who he is and what he did for you on the cross. That's what makes you righteous. That's what makes you holy and set apart. That's why you're forgiven. That's why you're free. And that's why you're able to say that you're a child of God. Thanks for listening to the Good Line Podcast. Coming up next on the program, we have a word from Nick Cady, the lead pastor of Whitefields Church. Stay tuned. Hey everyone, Nick Cady here. I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. And 
when it comes to why self-righteousness is dangerous or what are some of the problems it causes, I think that we need to recognize that uh, self-righteousness is actually at the root of a lot of problems, not just with how we feel or how we perceive God, but it also manifests itself in problems of how we act um, out towards other people. So for example, uh, a lot of the common problems we have in our world that are very relevant to us today, like uh, say racism, prejudice, even down to injustice, I think can be rooted in self-righteousness. And the reason for that is because everyone is essentially looking for a reason to say justify themselves. And one of the ways that we find that justification, or it's a, it's a sick way, it's a wrong way, but one of the ways that we seek it is by looking for an edge up on other people. And, and one of the ways that manifests itself is really in things like racism, right? So if I can find a reason why I can say that I'm better than somebody else or that I have more value than another person, then that makes me feel a sense of self-righteousness, which makes me feel a sense of, let's say, a comfort or, or validity in myself. And so I'll look for that. I'll look for value and worth in any area where I can find it, uh, because I think that all of us as human beings were desperately looking for value and worth and tie that into what some other people have said that the narrative story of the bible but it makes us feel good to be able to look at other people and say i'm better than them therefore i must be okay or i must be pretty good so we do that with prejudice of different forms we do it with uh, racism of course we it leads to injustice because we're looking for an edge up on other people so we're really we're, we're willing to cut corners and it reminds me of luke 18 do you remember uh, the story of the uh, Pharisee and the tax collector. And this Pharisee is trying to prove his righteousness even through his out loud prayer that he's praying in front of other people. And he says, thank you, Lord, that I am not like other people, you know, swindlers and the like. And then he points at this guy who I always imagine can probably hear him, which is kind of crazy that he's saying this right out loud in front of this guy. And he says, and not like this guy over here. What's the way out, I guess, is the question. And one of the answers to that is this, that when you really understand and embrace the gospel, when you're actively understanding it and embracing it every day, what happens is that you lose that need to prove yourself because you understand that you're bankrupt before God and yet God loves you more than you could ever dream. And because he loves you, that is what makes you okay. It's because of what he's done for you to justify you that makes you okay. And so when you really understand the gospel, you know, on the one hand, it, it makes you incredibly humble, but on the other hand, it makes you incredibly confident. Um, but it also sets you at rest from having to prove yourself. And so if truly people were experiencing um, God's righteousness rather than uh, continually seeking self-righteousness to actually solve some of the problems that we experience in the world when it comes to things like racism, prejudice. Thank you so much, Nick, for that reminder about how self-righteousness is truly something that leads to so much pain and suffering in our world. And now we're going to switch gears in the conversation and we're going to talk about another side of the coin, and that's legalism. So Brian, as we've been talking about righteousness, I, in a previous episode, threw out the word legalism. And I heard from a friend that that's kind of a Christianese word that a lot of us who've grown up in the church know, but not everyone knows it. So how would you define legalism? Yeah, first, it's not exactly what comes to mind initially. 
Uh, when we think legalism, I know my mind goes towards a legal system and goes towards courtrooms and, you know, law and order episodes. and Like, oh, yeah, you're, you're a lawyer, so you must be a legalist. You know, you, you yeah. speak legal legalism. You do legalism all day. Like, it's easy to kind of think that's the way that that goes. Uh, that's that's it's funny because it's like as a Christian, my mind doesn't go there. But if I think of myself as someone who didn't grow up in the church and I heard legalism, that's probably where I would go. If you just look at what the word is and you have no context for it, you would assume it works in the legal field. Right. So, So what is it? So instead of that, uh, legalism, I, I think one of the easiest ways to define it is when we take good things we should do for God just out of love for him and turn them into the qualifications by which we receive his love. Okay. So break that down. Like give us a practical example. Okay. So the example I think most people go to first is Bible reading. Hmm. Um, in a right relationship with Jesus in in the case where we have received his righteousness and we're now simply responding to it we're going to want to read the bible because it's an opportunity to get to know him it's an opportunity to hear his voice and sense him speaking to us and right. be shaped into the image of god we're going to want it for all of those reasons we're going to do it just because we're excited about it legalism says if I don't read my Bible, God doesn't love me anymore. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's not so much about the action as much as the motivation. That's one of the, the tricky parts about legalism. It is so hard to catch because it's more about a heart motivation that says, I must do this to be welcomed instead of I do this because I am welcomed. That makes sense. And I feel like a lot of times with legalism, it's something where people do it to one another. Like, and a lot of times it comes from somebody who has a personal conviction of something that they feel like this is for me what I'm supposed to do. But then all of a sudden they are trying to accuse everyone of, you know, you're not a real Christian because you're not doing the things that I'm doing. Like, for instance, I think of when I think of someone who's legalistic, somebody who they feel called to attend every Bible study that their church has, you know, they're at the Sunday morning, the Sunday night, the Wednesday night, the Saturday night, like to them, that just is what they want to do. But then they are telling their friends like, Hey, you need to get right with God. Like, why aren't you going to church more? Come on, man. And that in in my mind, that's, that's a version of legalism, I think. Yeah. Cause it's coming back to here are things you must do to be a real Christian. And Think about how that interacts with everything we've been talking about with righteousness. If yeah. righteousness is about the creation of a right relationship and walking in that right relationship. And part of what we're saying is we couldn't win that for ourselves. It had to be something God gave us. Then our responses to him are not the things that create that relationship. Hmm. And legalism very quickly slips into, I need to do these things so that I can have right relationship with God instead of saying he has made me right with him. And now I'm just going to enjoy the relationship that I have. Totally. So have you ever been legalistic? 
Oh, 100%. I actually, um, I found one of the things that we used to do at my church was uh, ministry interviews and applications. So if you wanted to serve at the church, uh, we had you fill out this little paper form with just some questions about your spiritual walk and who you were. Uh, It was really just a way of making sure that people who are serving were actually Christians, believed the way that we did at the church, and particularly like for serving in children's ministry, we wanted to run people through background checks just so that we knew our kids were safe. And that's always good. Always good. Yeah, it's it was a really good system. We're still doing it. Like we've weeded out some people that really shouldn't be serving through it. So like praise God for it. That's good. I was in high school when I first wanted to start serving with the junior high ministry. So I filled out a ministry application. And at that point of my life, Christianity was entirely the things that I did for God. Yeah. (laughs) So like eight years after that application, I found it because I was now in charge of the ministry applications. (laughs) And one of the things that I wrote just to try to be impressive was it said, describe your daily Bible reading habit. Mm. And I said, on any given day, I will read between one and six chapters of scripture. Oh my gosh, look at you. I know the, little the Bible one scholar. was because I wanted to just be honest and I didn't like, like I, I'm reading every day. Like I just want you to see that. And the six was kind of like the upper limit of what I would do. Right. And it was sort of like, I want you to know just how spiritual I can get. Like that was my thinking behind right. it. Yeah. And, and, and legalism and self-righteousness go hand in hand because I'm sure as you're reading those six chapters, you're looking at people who maybe aren't reading at all or reading just a little bit. And the feeling is like, well, well, they're not as spiritual as me. I mean, I've, I've been there. Absolutely. And even just the idea of seeing a direct link between I have read this much scripture, therefore I am this spiritual. I mean, think about the idea of apologists, you know, people who defend the Christian faith, they go and read huge chunks of the Quran and they don't say, look how Muslim I am. And, <laughs> and we don't put that idea on them. We, we admit you can read a completely different religious text. And the fact that you read it does not mean you are part of that faith. Right. So the fact that I read a large chunk of the Bible does not mean I am living and following the Christian faith. It could just mean I'm trying to accomplish Jesus giving me his love on my own, which is, as we're saying, silly because we don't need to do that. We're given it freely. Right. Well, I think that's a good breakdown. So if you're listening, hopefully now you understand the wonderful world of legalism. We're back once again with our friend Wavy Cowper from Calvary Limerick, and he has a story about how self-righteousness was something found in his life as a young Christian. Here's Wavy. It got me thinking about myself as a teenager, and there's, of course, the famous story of the prodigal son or the story of the two sons, really. And then we all have sort of a tendency to do one or the other and be self-righteous like the older brother or try to make up our own version of righteousness like the younger brother. And I, as a teenager, was one of those weirdos that was kind of both at the same time. And as a teenager, like if you spoke to me, I was pretty harsh, judgmental, over, overly critical person, especially towards Christians. Um, and a lot of my peers were sort of scared of me, scared of kind of stepping out of line and messing up because like, I mean, if God's wrath wasn't coming, David Cowper's was. And David Cowper is the name of my birth cert. 
But then at the same time, you know, behind the closed doors of my mind, I felt like there's this tidal wave of, of sin. There's like this image in my head of like, like Mickey Mouse and the waves and the water are coming up around him. I don't know if that's Fantasia or Phantasmic in Disneyland, but whenever, whatever it is, I'm like this little mouse standing against this powerful, massive tidal wave. And, you know, through the teens and, and the message of some people in the church, unintentionally probably, and on my own hormones and my own thoughts and my own bad theology, I thought that I had to, to be the one that stood there and held all of this back. Um, so then outwardly, I was strict and harsh, legalistic, wrathful and kind of scary sort of to hide but then another way to kind of make up for it that what was going on inside my heart and at like 16 i came to the point where i was like this tidal wave of sin is just too powerful that i can't really stop it and the cracks were beginning to show you know even in church life people were picking up on things that there's issues in my heart spilling into my life and so i sort of threw in the towel with the church Kind of mentally checked out. I stopped using the word Christian to describe myself, and then I took off those uh, like WWJD wristbands and those kind of things that were hip in the year 2000s Christianity in Ireland. And I decided uh, I would decide my own righteousness and find what my own truth was. Uh, like needless to say, that didn't last long. Um, my own righteousness, which is a kind of a self-righteousness in a way, but it would have been totally gone from like God's definition of what that means, what righteousness is, what a righteous action is, and certainly far from being in the right relationship. And that tidal wave, like it drowned me really quickly. So like about a year later, um, looking back on a year that I thought was going to be me breaking out of the bondage of Christianity and Christian morals, and then seeing myself in a way worse position way less content, way less happy, like way less capable of even facing the next day. And so the freedom I thought I sought, um, and I thought it was going to come from defining my own way of living, was actually some of the worst bondage I ever got myself into. And again, like I said, it took a year. It didn't take God long. And I came crawling back to him pretty literally. I didn't have the words really for what was happening at that time. Um, only after like coming to Calvary Chapel, so thanks to Mike Negley, and then it helped me to understand what he had done so that I could thank him and put words to it properly. But I remember telling God um, back in that summer, 2007, that I couldn't stop that wave again if I had to step back into that position where I had to be the one, the little mouse against the wave again, that it wasn't going to happen. And I had this overwhelming sense of kind of like, you know, what, what tidal wave? There was such grace, the idea and the fact that I don't, have to define what is right for myself in the first place but also that I don't have to do what is right by myself in my own strength like I'm not the Mickey Mouse holding back the waves anymore um, because he's there the wind and the waves obey him I mean I forget that sometimes and by staring down those waves from time to time you're like scared of them again but that's when he's like wavy are you looking at the water or are you looking at me and too often the answer to that is I'm looking at the water but he's so gracious and he's there and he's just saying, well, turn around, you know, turn back to life. Now we're going to hear from my friends, Pastor Brian Stupar from Calvary SLO. And once again, Wavy Cowper from Calvary Limerick, as they discuss how do we break the cycle of self-righteousness in our lives? Here's Pastor Brian. 
is there a practice that followers of Jesus can do that breaks this cycle of self-righteousness? Um, you know, Paul writes, train yourself for godliness. The word train that he uses there is the, uh, the Greek word to use like the training of a child, uh, paideia, I believe is the actual Greek word, but the idea is to, to put into action. There's something that we do, you know, again, salvation is a, is an act of grace, uh, totally 100% in spite of us growth in godliness. However, this is, uh, the reality of what way Paul writes is, is, is an act of trust is there's, there's practices that I, as a follower of Jesus engage in, and I train myself in godliness to walk in this particular way. Obviously, self-righteousness is the opposite of godliness. So how, do, in this context, what are some things that we can do to train ourselves in righteousness? Um, there's two practices that come to my mind. Number one is hospitality. Number two is community. Hospitality is this act of inviting people or going to people that um, might be quote unquote other, the other, that might be another denomination. It might be, you know, uh, uh, someone that is within a religious circle. Again, obviously most of us, I think all of us are pastors. Um, there are quote unquote others in our cities in which we pastor. It might be that church down the road that um, does things in an entirely different way than what you are comfortable with or might even uh, sanction. Um, and yet at the end of the day, they can oftentimes represent the other in a religious context. So I think the idea, the practice of exercising hospitality, inviting them out to coffee, entering into their life, getting to know their story, getting to know their background. That takes time, it takes energy, it takes money. What I have discovered as I've done this, I've stepped into, pressed into, I just made a phone call to a guy yesterday who's part of, a, uh, we have a very, very strong prayer group in our community. And this is one guy that kind of represents sort of a non-charismatic, more of a reform type of an approach. He's never been to one of our, our, our prayer meetings, but I want him to. To me, he, he's valuable in our community and I, and I want to get to know him. And I have definitely sensed to some degree, maybe a standoffishness. And I don't know what that is or why that's there. But what I'm trying to do is step into his life and to get to know his story. So I contacted him and we're hoping to get some coffee and just connect. And um, so I, I find it not only as an act action that's good for the community because it dismantles self-righteous edifices. But it's also good for my soul because it helps me to realize um, Christianity in my city did not come on my shoulders. I didn't originate it. I don't innovate it. I have been gifted the faith that was once delivered to all. And it's my responsibility to bring that faithfully into this community, which self-righteousness completely tears down the very thing that Jesus is wanting to bring together. Yeah, I think like there's such a like it's such a good thing to be part of community and fellowship and like hearing about what what other people are living through and experiencing and I was just with um with a couple of my friends here who are on the team with Calvary Limerick and we we're talking earlier about how you know everybody sort of thinks that the thing that they've done is the worst thing and so they can have a tendency like hide it um to act like it's not there 
and then to feel very alone in it and feel very like you know satan will tell you your your sin is the worst sin and nobody else would ever do something as bad as that thing you've done or that situation you led somebody into or yourself into um that act that you committed whatever it is you know that and then we isolate ourselves and we think we we believe it we believe the lie that this sin is the worst sin and nobody else would ever do something as vile as the thing that i've done um, and then we begin to try and hide it from other people and act self-righteously basically like acting in a way that is like um, hiding that thing and then that having conversations um, about our weaknesses and about the things that we're going through and the things that we're struggling with is a way of breaking down it's, it's a practice a training um, of righteousness towards righteousness actually talk about sin to talk about your failings is because that's obviously that's humility to say I'm not perfect I don't have it all together. Um, there's things in my life I'm struggling with. And to say, you know, like a step further, I feel like I'm the only person in this bad. And so I try and hide behind, you know, a kind of a piousness or a giving extra in church or, you know, doing a bit more for the Lord or whatever. I think like since I've started planting a church over the past year, there's like been one issue, which I'm not going to say what it is, that like a lot of conversations that I've had with people comes up again and again and again. And the perspective that those people have when they sit down with is this guy is a pastor or starting a church or, you know, whatever. Um, he's going to be disgusted by what I tell him and he's going to want to run a mile. And they tell me and like I always say like my whole thing with them is to be like, I don't care what your sin is. I care about your relationship with Christ. What you've done and what you've gone through isn't the thing that interests me. What interests me is, are you looking to your savior? Or are you trying to hide that thing? Or trying to solve that problem yourself? Or are you trusting in Christ? And then, so like slightly different topic, just thinking about practices we can do. I think sometimes when you're involved in a practice where you've become self-righteous about it, um, and you've become kind of pious and prideful about it, one of the best things to do, even if it's a good thing, take a step back from it. And so I did a, was doing a thing where I was trying to read through scripture in a certain amount of time I think it was maybe three or four months and so I was spending a lot of my time doing it but then I was telling everybody about how well I was doing and like obviously it's a great thing to read scripture but I was doing it from like an attitude of I want to get through this number of chapters that I've got to get through today and I don't really want to do it but I know that there's another person who asks regularly enough, have I been doing it? So I'll have to tell them that I've been doing it. So then I do it, but I needed to take a step back from that. And that was the best thing to do for my own self-righteousness, to break that habit of self-righteousness. Wavy, that's a good word on reassessing a practice that may have gone, gone bad. I think that's an important note that I think there's a tendency, uh, I have, observed with people that may have, um, I remember talking with a guy recently who had major struggles with self-righteousness. He began to see his self-righteousness. He was disgusted by it, which, you know, when that light turns on you typically happens, but then he started kind of assessing the landscape of his life and looking at the things that were 
contributing to his self-righteousness and two of those obviously were his you know church involvement and reading the bible so he completely and he's married he's got kids and so he kind of went through sort of this uh, deconstructionalism of his faith uh, because he was associating the self-righteous patterns or feedback with um reading the bible and going to church and so what he thought was the right thing to do was to stop going to church and stop reading the bible and uh you know it was an overcorrection which oftentimes can happen um and so i was fortunate enough to be able to be in his life to be able to communicate with him and to be a friend with him through that to help him process it and i, I find a lot of times um the liturgist podcast and uh, the facebook group is not a good place for people to process their faith for me in that particular situation what i wasn't saying is that i stopped reading scripture totally and gave up on it you know it was that that particular approach that particular method that particular thing that i was engaged in had turned sour and you know since then i've come back and i've done reading plans again and sometimes i've given them up because my heart hasn't been right again um and other times they've gone the whole way through and it's been fine and um, my focus has been on the right things but it's just that like that idea of sometimes what you're engaged in you're engaged in for the wrong reason um you just take a step back from it reassess refocus on the lord um refocus on grace and humility and then the lord will lead you back into those areas of service and those areas of spiritual disciplines again what was a uh, outgrowth from this was a, a way of reforming the practice um in other words doing the practice differently um i've been teaching on this on sunday mornings we're actually doing a series called Habits of Grace and right now it's actually looking at the very practices of the Christian faith of Jesus the disciples 2000 years of church history uh which a lot of us in the west have conveniently just uh <laughs> erased because they often have to get chalked up or being associated with more liturgical church systems catholic orthodox so on. um but one of the things that i had been communicating is the, the practices are are essential to what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus does certain practices, his disciples in certain practices. And uh and yet if the practices are not achieving certain results, in other words, if you're looking at your life and you're being overly self-righteous and condemnation full of condemnation, uh, self-condemnation and or uh, condemning other people, uh the the problem actually may not necessarily be the practice itself but maybe the way in which you are actually engaging in the practice um i made the analogy of like working out so for example if you have a workout re uh, regimen that involves i don't know let's say you know bicep curls whatever and you know you're doing this for 6 months 8 months you're not seeing any gains um it's very very likely what you need to do is not just simply quit your gym membership and stop working out ever again uh probably what you need is a personal trainer um and you need to submit your your way of doing things to someone that is uh skilled who's more advanced who knows how to do this and and ask them show them here's what i've been doing here's where my frustration point comes and they might show you that oh this is you, you know you tweak your arm this way you do it this way you you know slow things down and you might actually begin to discover some some gains and uh i think the spiritual walk of a christian is very similar where if going to church or reading scripture is one of those practices that you may look at and think well this is the source of my self righteousness um 
that may not be the issue, maybe how you're doing it. I think, again, playing to that very same idea, riffing off of what Jesus was saying in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, fasting, for example. Um, Jesus does not look at fasting and simply eradicate fasting on the menu of spiritual disciplines because the Pharisees and scribes were manipulating it in such a way where it became sort of a means of self-congratulatory praise. But rather what Jesus does is he says, hey, look, here's how the scribes and Pharisees fast. It's very unproductive. It's destructive to them, destructive to the community. And here's how I want you to do it. So rather than eliminating the practice, Jesus actually tweaks the practice as a master. And he says, here's how to do it in a way that's productive, that's healthy. Um, you know, some, some words there are added, but you get the idea. One of the things when I lived in the States that I found very interesting, and I'm aware that there's a slight self-righteous attitude in even how I think about this, um, but the what the way baptism is done in the US, like people in, in Ireland, you kind of get baptized, you get baptized maybe twice because you've been baptized as a child and then baptized your own choice as an adult. But in the States, when I was there, I found that a lot of people were you know, getting baptized red, relatively regularly. And previously in the conversation, we've had a thought that, um, you know, you have times where you fall away from the Lord and then you go to a camp or you go to an event or a conference and that kind of reignites your your spiritual, uh, your walk again with the Lord. Like a lot of people's response to that seems to be to then go get baptized again, which like from my perspective, coming from Ireland, where you know, it's a picture of Christ's death, your death in with Christ, and then your resurrection with Christ. Then that's a picture that you don't do repeatedly. Um, and that's just one of those things that like, like I know my attitude to it is, is a bit to be like, oh, I'd never do that. Um, and it's wrong to do that. But also to be like using baptism as a way to make yourself right with God when you've fallen away to, a bit um, is one of those things that, you know, Again, one of those practices that maybe you need to take a step back from and assess what your situation is and what your heart is and what you're doing this for. Um, and are you planning to get baptized again in six months time or a year's time? Um, and then what is it about? Why are you doing that? What is baptism? What does it mean to you? And I think like, you know, that you can apply that to a lot of the spiritual disciplines. Like, why are you doing it? What does it mean to you? Um, what's the point? And is the point glorifying God or is the point hiding your sin or glorifying yourself. Man, what what an amazing discussion. Great thoughts from Brian and Wavy. I just, I couldn't agree more with what Wavy was just saying. I know so many times in my own life as a young person, I kept going forward to those altar calls because I wanted to be right with God. And <laughs> I would think, man, I mean, I gave my life to Jesus at a camp. I, I, I went up during church. But here's another altar call and I look at my life and I see sin and I see flaws and I see mistakes and so obviously I'm not right with God yet I've got to go and 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 recommit my life to the Lord I just wish I would have understood back then what righteousness actually means I wish I would have understood that being right with God doesn't mean that you have it all together it doesn't mean that you follow all the rules. It doesn't mean that you are perfect. It just means that your heart is one that is committed 
to Jesus and in love with Jesus. And I just, I didn't get that. I saw it as righteousness is keep the rules. And I know I can't do that. And so I kept falling on my face and I kept repraying that prayer of salvation so many times, even though I was a pastor's kid. And man, I just want people listening to this to understand the truth, to understand that if you have Jesus, if you've given your life to Christ, you are already righteous. You have a right relationship with Jesus. And so all of the stuff that we're we're talking about, the trying to do things on our own, trying to be good enough, that just leads to self-righteousness. It just leads to us thinking, oh, I did it. I accomplished it. I am good enough. And then we mess up and then we go into self-hatred or we judge other people harshly. And really it all just comes down to relationship. What is our relationship with Christ? Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to episode three of the Righteousness mini-series. We're so excited. We've got quite a few more of these episodes coming out. I think we have about four more. So I'm very excited for you to hear from the other pastors and the other leaders on this very important subject. Thanks for listening. You guys have been great. We've been hearing messages of encouragement from so many of you. Thank you for sending us direct messages on Instagram and Facebook about how this podcast has been helping you and touching you and helping you learn and grow. That just makes it all worth it to us to know that we're making an impact in your life. So yeah, thank you for listening. If you like what we're doing, please give us a rating on iTunes. Give us a review so that other people can find us and know about what we're doing. And check out goodlion.io, our website, for more great content. You can find all the other episodes of the show and all the other shows that we produce. If you like what we do enough to want to support us, go to goodlion.io slash support. We're a nonprofit ministry and everything that we do is all for free. We want to produce free resources, free podcasts, free series to help people grow in their relationship with Christ. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. And we'll catch you next time on the Good Lion Podcast.